This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good evening. Last night I talked about uh, two Zen stories, two Zen koans. Uh, one of them was a teacher asking um, his student, what were you before your parents were born? Um, before all the conditioning that created a sense of self and a sense of an inner sense of self and an outer sense of self, uh, the patterns of thinking and feeling. Um, what's that pulsing aliveness that's common to all human beings? What were you before your parents were born? So, and then this evening I'd like to talk about another story somewhat related um, a student and his teacher go to uh, a household that has uh, someone has died and the student raps on the coffin and says alive or dead oh and the teacher says, I won't say. I won't say alive, I won't say dead. And the student says, um, well, why won't you say alive or dead? And the teacher says, I won't say. And so they leave, you know, they pay their condolences and then they leave. And as they're walking back, to their, their monastery. A student says, you didn't answer my question, and if you don't answer it, I'm going to hit you. And the teacher says, um, you can hit me if you like, but I won't say. And so the student hits him. And um, and then over time, several years later, the teacher dies. And the student's still chewing away on this question, alive or dead. Um, and he goes and asks another teacher the very same question. You see, he recounts the whole story to him. He says, I went with my teacher to pay condolences to someone who died, to the family of someone who died. I rapped on the coffin saying, alive or dead? Teacher wouldn't answer. What do you say? And he said, I won't say. Each month, on the anniversary of the 
death of Suzuki Roshi, the founder of San Francisco Zen Center, each month uh, on the monthly anniversary of his death, we have a ceremony. You know, a memorial ceremony. Do we bring him back to life just by um, holding him in our minds and hearts, remembering uh, the virtues, the, the teachings of who he was and what he said? Does that bring him back to life? Uh, or are we just dwelling in the past? Yeah. Yesterday, Alistair, who practices here, told me about someone over in Castle Court one of the visiting Japanese artists and he has this uh, presentation where he just sits for six hours writing in kanji be alive just keeps writing the same thing for six hours is that what life's about is that how to be alive? Is that the formula for being alive? A dedication, a persistence, engaging, doing what you're doing. Yeah. Or is it something about um, the very process of spiritual awakening. You know? Donovan, who maybe many of you are not old enough to know, a singer in the late 60s, early 70s, First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is uh, an old Zen saying. First there's this version of reality that's mostly coming out of our own um, habitual way of seeing reality. It's like we're conjuring up something and then we're respond, responding to what we've conjured up and liking it and disliking it and anticipating and remembering and all of that the stuff of being alive is it with, woven within it but we're so caught up in it we don't get it we don't see it we don't feel the depth of it And then, one way or another, we drop all that 
the world according to me, the me according to me, dies. And there is some kind of rebirth, some kind of awakening. You know, within the imagery of Christianity, you know, we're immersed in the water. Something is washed away. And there is a transformation. And we're reborn. In many spiritual traditions, um, there is a transformative ritual, and then we're even given a new name. And you can ask yourself right now, you know, of all those images, of all those notions, uh, what ones for you have some credence, have some resonance? Oh, yeah. Something like that. Or maybe none of them. Maybe something in you thinks, um, no, what occurs to me is more like this. The teacher said, won't say, because any idea, any perspective, any conjuring up that you come up with is just a reiteration of the world according to me, of life according to me, of death according to me. Now usually, I think every one of us would say, if we were honest, usually we're too caught up in living our life to even give much time, much consideration to this kind of existential question. What's going on in the moment has too much intrigue. Uh, Our memories, our anticipations, in terms of what we want and what we don't want. What we want to have happen and what we don't want to have happen. Our desires, our aversions, the more the preoccupation that obscures even the profundity of that question. And often, in the usual course of our life, it's the incident, it's the experience that shakes the world according to me. 
And sadly, often it's the way it's shaken um, in a distressing way. Oh. Illness, divorce, death. Oh. Our life is shaken. And in the middle of that, uh, we start to see the relevance. This afternoon, Frank and I were walking along the street. And then we started to talk to somebody. And he started to describe what it was like when he had a heart attack. No? How he started to feel like something was really wrong. How um, he started to feel lightheaded. And he started to pass out. He was having a heart attack. And uh, and first of all, he was quite calm. Just, oh, look. I'm feeling weird. Oh, I'm feeling lightheaded. Oh, I feel like I'm passing out. And then as the implication of those symptoms started to dawn on him, you know, like, oh, I, I am in the throes of life and death. Oh, the vitality and the mortality of this being called me is being brought up into question. Something was shaken profoundly. And, um, and he survived. And he got a pacemaker. And, uh, and he said, I relate to life differently now. It's not such a big deal. If somebody who works for me forgets to change to the toilet paper in the bathroom. Our life is shaken. No. It's, we discover life is not permanent. Intellectually, we've known that since we were about six or seven. Uh, but that interesting difference between knowing it as a fact and knowing it as a lived experience. And then is it possible 
to discover, to realize the lived experience without having to go through tragedy. No. And in one kind of spiritual image, it's like our spiritual practice creates a kind of transcendence of the mundane and realization of a more exalted way. And Buddhism, and Zen in particular, offers a different kind of image. It's more like we become more intimate with the very process of being alive. And we start to see it's always changing. We've been having what we call a mindfulness circle each day. You go into the day with some notion of how to attend to what's going on for you. Then you come back the next day and you describe what you noticed. You notice when that intentionality was present and you also remember, oh, and then there were times it wasn't. So this whole array of ideas, all the possibilities of what was going on between the monk and the teacher. I won't say, how can I live your life for you? As one Zen teacher said, I can't have a heart attack for you. I can't even fart for you. It's like, only you can be you. Only you can live the life you're living. Only you can answer that question to your own satisfaction and education or realization. Beat on me all you want, I still can't answer it for you. And then what is it to answer it for yourself? What is it to sit down and sit upright and be in the midst of the life you're living and be present for how that's unfolding it, you know. And in a way Zen saying, before any technique, before any deliberate involvement of following the breath or attending to your posture 
or noticing your thoughts or emotions to remember you know this is an opportunity to bear witness to being alive And the guy pulled his shirt open a little bit so we could see the lump near his collarbone, his pacemaker for his heart. Yeah. Someone close to you dies. I remember when my mother died and I thought I've never lived that my mother wasn't alive. This is a new way of living. This is a new world. And soon thereafter, my ambitions, my sense of purpose dissipated. I was an engineer, civil engineer. The plan was to slowly, steadily create my own construction company. And my mother died and I asked foolish questions like what's life all about the monk knocks on the coffin and asks what's life all about And the teacher says, um, nobody can give you the answer. They can throw out ideas. They can make suggestions about how to explore it. They can give you instructions on how to do Zazen. Um, but they can't live it for you. And when you sit, when you live, when you wake up each morning, before you go to bed each night, um, what's the relationship to being alive that you're exhibiting, that you're energizing? Does it get swamped? by the preoccupations and dissatisfactions? Does it get um, 
postponed in the service of attending to um, what seems more immediate, more interesting. Watching that movie that everybody told you was so great. So in a way, the story is inviting us to discover what the teacher can't give us. If we pay close attention, is there any day in our life that doesn't shake us a little or a lot? Is there any day in our life where we don't bear witness to the great matter of life and death? That's asking us, what's it all about? What's important? What's important about being alive? About being the person you are? About having the relationships you have? What's important about all of that that something in you says, yes. That's what's important to remember. That's what's important to remember when I confront being me. That's what's important to remember when I meet others. The monk traps the coffin. What's the most important thing? And the teacher says, you want me to live your life for you? I'm not going to do it. I can't do it, even if I wanted to. Ask yourself, what's the most important thing? What is it to live? What is it to live and inhabit uh, the challenges? To engage the healing from the suffering and the, cons- and the consequences of the suffering of your life? What is it to find the patience, the fortitude, 
the courage to dare to live the life you're living. And the amazing thing about Zazen is that we start in a very simple existential place. We sit and we pay attention. We notice what's happening. And in noticing it, we acknowledge it and experience it. And usually we pay attention to our posture, we pay attention to our breath to help us to just quite simply pay attention. And life happens. <clears throat> and we create an understanding, a conclusion. But if we keep about life, about ourselves, about this moment, about this memory, about this relationship, but if we keep paying attention, we can see they're the answer of the moment. We can start to see it's not so much, well, did I come up with the right conclusion or the right understanding or the wrong one? It's more like uh, we're the unfolding of some long poetic expression of being alive. And we can feel, we can feel that this life that we call our own is not so different and even not so separate from other lives, you know. It's like when we see someone having an intense emotion. And we quite literally feel emotionally connected. Sometimes their tears bring up our tears. Their laughter brings up our laughter. We start to notice living is not a singular and separate event. It's a collective event. Mm. Not to say we don't have some inner process of myself, but it's not uh, the whole story. It's the place from which we connect. It's the place from which 
we feel the consequence of connecting. And no one can do it for us. No one can save us from being ourself. Such simple, obvious comments, and yet each one of us, when we poke around, when we explore, when we think of some of the powerful experiences of our life, um, we realize they have a depth to them that our mind cannot fathom. Yes, we can have ideas, we can have conclusions. But there's something that can't be said about it all. Some way in which life expresses itself, its energy. So when we do our monthly memorial at Zen Center, we have these lacquer uh, containers, quite ornate, and we offer incense, and then we offer uh, rice, and then we offer water. And it makes me think that um, Suzuki Roshi died, and then his, his widow, who stayed at Zen Center, instead of going back to Japan. And uh, sometimes she would bring in tangerines, and she'd put them on his memorial place. And she'd say things like, oh, Suzuki Roshi loves these tangerines. Oh, the first cherry blossoms are blooming. I'm going to bring some to Suzuki Roshi. When she thought like that, when she acted like that, was Suzuki Roshi more alive? Was he still alive? Was he living on in her memories, in her emotions? Do other people live on within us? I asked a Japanese Zen teacher once, why did you come to America? 
you know. You know, in some ways, kind of stupid question, you know. And he said, I'm living my teacher's wish. My teacher wanted to come to America, and I'm living his wish. Does someone else live on within us? Are we just a physical body, separate from the flow of life that passes through us all? Is there some contagion? Does the wish live on, just pass from body to body? Do you act in some way, your mother or your father or your sibling acted? In a Zen school, the more demanding, the more impossible the question, the better. We're less tempted to come up with some glib answer. Oh, it's all about this. Oh, that one, that one's easy. Once this high school came to city center in San Francisco, to the Zen center, and he asked, he asked me a question, something like, well, what do you do here? And I said, Zen. And he said, oh yeah, we did that last semester at school. <laughs> and I thought, oh, we're busted. You know, it's like, <laughs> What's all this big palaver about uh, just living your life? But it's so easy to just drift through it, you know, until something slaps you up the side of the head and then you think, wait a minute, what's going on? What's important? And to watch carefully. Every day we answer that question that can't be answered. Every day we live that life that can't be fully quantified with thoughts. And when we pay attention that very living that we're doing all the time can teach us, you know. Ah. Oh. We can start to see how we get in our own way. We can start to see what does nourish and enliven a human life.
And when we make that kind of exploration and discovery, uh, we can start to see the singularity of life and the collectiveness of life. We're all in it together. And we're all doing it our own way. Whether we intend to or not. Whether it's the expression of uh, some purposeful being or it's just how we're pushed and pulled by circumstances. One of the things that intrigues me about that coin is the student hitting the teacher. What are we supposed to take away from that? The futility of desperate effort. Give it what it takes even when it fit, doesn't fit neatly and tidily within uh, common courtesy. Mm. What do we take away from anything? If you think about today, what's your takeaway? What did it teach you? about who you are and how you live. How much was today and the activity and the person you were today, how much of that can you look at and say, that's how it ought to be done? In all of that, all of these notions, all of these questions, um, all of this exploration that in a way confines our intellect. I won't say. I won't say. Thank you.